For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Seven oh seven on today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. Good evening, Josh. Hello, Dan. And this evening on the program, we're talking kids accessories. We'll have a Jason Ayub in from Junior Kids. Uh, we'll also talk about uh, transition on the program as well, uh, transitioning from one generation to the other, which is something that uh, Jason had experienced, and we'll get into that later in the program. Uh, but first, as usual, some entrepreneurial news of the week. And uh, Josh, uh, let's begin. Um, with a with a law firm, we don't talk about law firms a lot, but uh, they are businesses, and uh, and sometimes they they grow and they consolidate and they expand like businesses. Um, Gowlings uh, is uh, is going global. Yeah, they uh, they're looking, uh, or they really looked and paired with a, a UK law firm. Uh, and the point wasn't really so much to talk uh, or or bring up the story for you know which firm is merging with which. It's really more the recognition of businesses just far more international today than it ever was. Uh, when people are doing business today, when they're when you're consolidating, when you're looking where to sell, where to buy, uh, going vertical, uh, you know, so you you kind of take that supply chain and and really put it all under your your roof. You you're no longer looking in your own back, backyard. I mean, the reality is people haven't been looking in their own backyard. They've been looking well beyond for a number of years, but the recognition that professional services firms uh, are are doing that is is just an absolute indication that this this is where businesses go i mean us too we we've been part of an international affiliation for many years uh, so lea leading edge alliance and that's really just so that we we know and can service our clients here but also have the advice, the expertise, the know-how, and the ability to help them do business elsewhere in the world. Law firms have been doing it as well for for a while, and this story is just highlighted because they know that they need to expand their international scope. It's, it's just natural. If you have a medium or, or large size business, what are some signs that uh, that you might be sort of uh, in in a position to imminently expand internationally? Well, I, I think it depends on where you're. You have to look at where you're buying from and where you're selling to, and if the majority is from one location or not, then then I think you're looking at well. Is it making more sense? Am I making money? Am I losing money by subcontracting this out, by by not having things under my own roof or not? Am I saving a lot of headaches? And that's really the balance, the kind of the, the, the risk reward or the cost benefit, uh, I think. But when you are focused on, on very much buying or selling to a specific region, well, then you might want to consider expanding or going beyond because certainly it, it's, it's about the business, but we also know that the, the compliance laws, the tax laws, and the different jurisdictions can also be quite onerous. And and even though you might not think you have to report somewhere, if you're doing business and certainly selling, you know, for example, I can take selling to the U.S., you might not have a location there, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't be reporting something. So I, I think if you're focused, if you're like, you know, scattered around the world, then yes, it might be that much harder to to consolidate or, or see where, but not impossible. But if you're really focused on, on a couple of specific regions, then I would say that's very possible that it might do yourself a great deal of dollar benefit to see if you can consolidate and, and use those jurisdictions to your advantage. 
Speaking of expanding, uh, Simons is uh, opening up in Ontario. What a great uh, story. You know, this is a, a Quebec. This is Now, this is not somebody coming in from outside. This isn't Lowe's buying Rona, so it's it's outside buying uh, Quebec. This is Quebec, uh, you know, a Quebec name, a well-known Quebec family, Quebec City family that uh, that has its, its Simon stores here in Montreal, Quebec City, you know, and throughout the Quebec region. They're going beyond the Quebec borders. They're taking their their knowledge, their know-how, their their style, uh, and and bringing it beyond. I, I think it's a great story that that I'm actually surprised it it almost it took this long. Uh, you know, I I find Montreal, Quebec, we can be a little bit fashion forward. We have the European trends. Um, now, can they translate it to in this case an Ontario market? That's where the trick lies. Can they? Can they? Can they? Because you can't automatically assume that just because Montrealers or Quebecers dress really well and have a certain style that it's going to match, you know, the Ontario people, the Toronto people. You know, Montreal, Toronto, we're not always so the same. Some of them are a little more tight. You know, some of them are a little <laughs> more less less open. Uh, I won't go beyond that, but uh, there's double definitely double-breasted suits is what you're double, saying. Double, yeah. you know, double-breasted breasts double breasted suits are okay, uh, but uh, it's it's very much different. So they have to take their style and make sure it translates to that to that economy. I think they can do it because I don't think it's a stretch, and I think there's a desire to have a little bit of European flair and not be you know the next American city as Toronto is known for. But it's certainly going to take work. But I think it's great that uh, that these, this Quebec iconic store is is moving beyond the border. Another hopeful uh, Quebec uh, uh, success story, a, a couple um, makes apparently some pretty popular vegan food and they're looking to expand uh, their vegan business here in Montreal. You know, it's, 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 we've heard this, you know, we've talked about these stories before about uh, the type of food, the, the fresh foods and, and the fresh co. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit about that in the last couple of weeks. This is just another, another great story, another entrepreneur capitalizing on the the food and health market today. And I think this is just the beginning. I know we've spoken about it at least two, three times in the last few weeks. This is really just the beginning. I mean, there's so much, this market is not saturated. This health market is not saturated. People might think it is. People might go into the grocery store and think there's a whole bunch, but from uh, uh, what are people looking for to put in their body? Uh, I think it is really just the beginning. It's been five, 10 years or whatever it is. There's so much more to go and so much more possibility. And this is just, uh, you know, I wanted to highlight this story because it's still a market that can be attacked. Uh, and it's a great idea for anybody that has the right flair and the right it's creating the reason why to come to the store. You know, we're a broken record about that, Dan, but why come into the store? Well, why in this case is, is health reason and that that is the trend. And so Vegetarian Gourmet wants to help uh, export their uh, their burgers uh, worldwide. And uh, one of their one of their keys to, to their success, it seems, is those in-store displays. Does that still work when you sort of go into the store and give away little samples? Uh, well, how, how well? You know, if somebody, if you're, if you're selling food and you're selling taste and you don't want people to think, hey, uh, vegan food is like cardboard because it's clearly not. Well, then, yeah, you might want to actually go out and give a little sample. Uh, it's like going to the SAQ and having you know try uh, try one of the alcohols that as soon as you walk in the door, they 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 want you to fall in love with their product and their flavor. And what better way than giving you something for free? From Report on Business, uh, Five Ugly Truths About Entrepreneurship. I'll read them out really quickly and then get your comments because some of them I can definitely relate to. Mm -hmm. uh, you are more likely to fail than succeed. You can lose everything. You will experience extreme stress, 
Check. Uh, you will lose touch with some family and friends in the beginning. Check. You will have uh, regrets at some point. What do you think? Uh, the, the, clearly, they're all true. Uh, it's how you manage each of the points because they're all going to hit. They're all you're all you're going to have your failures. You're going to have your stress points. You're gonna, you're not going to be talking to family, or whatever. But it's how you manage it and how you keep yourself grounded as an entrepreneur. Much easier said than done. There's no doubt about that. But if you at least surround yourself, what what I'll add here, what can help any of these situations is if you surround yourself with one or two or three people that can help keep you grounded, that can throw questions at you, that can challenge you every now and then, I think it's easier to manage these situations that are are inevitable. You're perfectly correct. And I I know you've lived that. I've lived that as an entrepreneur as well. Uh, But... It can be managed and it can have a softer landing if you have some the right people around you that you can help bounce ideas and I'll say commiserate a little bit, but that's not it. It's really to share and grow beyond. Today's entrepreneur on CJAD will get to our profile this evening. His name is Jason Ayub of Junior Kids. That's on the way, 7.15 on CJAD. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 718 on today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and F.L. Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you. And this evening, we welcome our guest, Jason Ayub of Junior Kids. Jason, welcome to CJD. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So first question is the easiest. Tell me about yourself and about Junior Kids. Junior Kids is a... uh is a mega store of um, formal wear for kids uh, for any special occasion. We have, uh, it's a princess uh, store and a prince store where we have every dress, every shoe. It's a one-stop shop for suits and dresses and all that stuff. So we want to be known as the, as the Morse for kids and uh, that's what it is. Now, how did, you didn't start this business. How did you get into this business? I got into this business, well, my father started this business uh, several years ago, and uh, it was always in the women's and men's and, you know, casual kids' uh, clothing and all that stuff. And then uh, when I joined and I took over a couple of years back, uh, it turned it into dresses and suits and, you know, trendy clothing for kids. Um, and so that's that's how we started now, you know, we, we always talk about, you know, one generation to the next and transition. How did you, how did you find, was that an easy transition? Like, were you in the business for a while? Did you, you know how he operated was, and when he was kind of winding down and you were ramping up, cause I yeah. presume there was, there was some transition. Yeah. Was it, was it smooth? It's, it's, it's never smooth with my father, <laughs> but, uh, no, no, it was smooth. It was, uh, it was, it was easy. It, it, it wasn't more that. I changed it or my father stopped, um, stopped buying mm-hmm. what he used to buy. It's more that the, the, our customers turned it that way and pushed us in that way. And, and we just went full blast to it. And, and, and that's why we're here today. And we have, uh, I guess, I guess you, I guess you guys had different styles. I mean, you're different generations, of course, but you had different styles Were they oh, yeah. drastically different. I mean, it was more that, you know, uh, my father was buying from, you know, kept buying the, the, the same stuff and was changing. But then I had my own, you know, being young, I had my own, you know, what's trendy, what's not, what's in and, you know, what will sell, what we won't sell. And, you know, we want, I wanted to take it into a specific direction where it's, you know, it's, it's many uh, princesses and princes and, and everything has to be trendy and nice. And what was your background? Where did you come from before this? Um, completely different background. I'm a chartered accountant by, uh, 
let's say education and uh, with a flair for fashion, of course. With a flair for fashion, yeah. I know I always had a, a flair for fashion, and it's something that I'm very passionate about. And uh, but yeah, so that's I used to be a chartered accountant. So do you find that your your background as a CA or CPA now? Uh, how how important was that? How much did that that help? It's very important. It uh, it opened lots of doors. Um, it sort of helped me understand the business not only from a stylish point of view, but also from a financial point of view and <clears throat> how to buy and how to work within a budget and all that stuff. So it, it helped me a lot, and it also helped me, uh, opens doors uh, for banks and all that stuff. So it's 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 a very very big uh, part of my uh, life. Where, did it help you, I guess, were there processes before you got into the picture or did you kind of create a few after you got in based on that background, based on whatever spreadsheets you were working with over time? Um, yeah, I mean... Uh, and what was maybe the most important process change that you added when you came into it? Well, it had to do with all the, the inventory. And I mean, when I joined, we did not have any, you know, everything was manual and all that stuff. No, no internal controls, no... Uh, no inventory system, no nothing. And, you know, by putting in the inventory system, we sort of, you know, you understand a lot that you sort of overlook and think that, you know, this sells and this doesn't. But, you know, after looking at the, uh, at your sales and all that stuff, you'll, you'll get to see what actually really is happening inside your stores. And so that's what helped us a lot. And something I changed just to go back to your other question is, uh, I changed the way we, we buy. We used to buy just equal amounts of everything because that was easy, mm -hmm. you know, and it's six across or 10 across or 20 across of whatever it is. And now it's more of, no, I don't need size two, but I need a size, I need to up a size four and a size six because that's what sells the most. And, and, and that's how we changed it. So it was more that way. And, and I think your background really helps a lot. I know, Dan, you know, we've spoken to a lot of entrepreneurs over the years and a lot of them go by their gut and it's a passion and they do what they love. Uh, we hear the importance of measuring. We hear the importance of planning. Not everybody does it to the, to the nth degree as much. Uh, Jason certainly has learned his lesson from his pre previous background. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more on that inventory management and knowing kind of how much to buy and when. So uh, that, that's coming up after. Jason Ayub of Junior Kids joins us this evening on Today's Entrepreneur at 723. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 725 on Today's Entrepreneur. Our guest is Jason Ayub of Junior Kids and uh, talking, I guess, Josh, about, a bit about inventory. Um, Jason, when, when you started, how did you get a sense for how much to buy, uh, what, the, what the trends were, and how quickly you could sort of move uh, some of that merchandise? Um, when I, uh, obviously, when I started, I, you know, I sort of had a bit more of the idea of how much we sell and how much we could sell and all that stuff um it was more just a trial and error at the beginning obviously like when we got into suits you know i remember the one of the first years we started and i mean we were sold out in 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 march and we didn't do half the season yet and so i you know i went in i ordered some more from my uh from my suppliers obviously it's it's all about creating this relationship with them and you know and they didn't have so i had to go they found me some and you know we ordered that sure that i pay more expensive yes but at the end of the day i learned for next year to you know up it up and try to sustain for the whole season um at the end of the day that's that's what i did so now your suppliers where where are you buying you're buying local you're buying overseas where are you buying from we buy everything you know very very um 
everything is, is, is international. You know, we want the main basis of our stores is that we want every kit to be unique. And so um, everything comes from everywhere else in the world. Like we have suppliers from Brazil, from Panama, um, London, Italy, um, Amsterdam, Lebanon, um, the States, obviously, and, and obviously China as well. I mean, we, ha we have from everywhere and every country um, gives its unique flair. And so that's what you'll see when you come into the store, you'll see something from everything. Is there a, a difference in quality or doing business? Is there a country that's that you've dealt with that's either easier or harder from one aspect or another? China is the hardest. <laughs> that's that I can guarantee you. Um, in terms of quality, I we you know when we look for for uh, our suppliers, we look for a certain you know uh, quality that we want um, our clients to get, and so. In terms of quality, yes, is, is is some the small the small details are they better in one country uh, over the next? Yes, but in terms of the quality, we try to to have a you know good quality all around, and that's something that we strive for. How do you test? Do you do you physically go there? Do you ask for samples? How do you how do you try and make sure I, the quality is is up to st your standards? I have a, a rule is never to buy on a catalog. It's always I have to go there or meet up, or they have to send me samples if we can't uh, you know meet up and all that stuff, because I want to make sure that the sample is good that it 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 fits in our criteria and that um you know everything has to do with 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 me seeing and and i'll never buy in a catalog that's you, the most important you don't hear too many you know of all the entrepreneurs we've had on we don't hear too many people that are importing from panama as, as an example yeah how's your experience in dealing with that country um it's it's very easy i mean i met this company it's a very very big company lots of trendy uh styles i met this company at a show that i did that uh, that i went to i attended in uh, obviously the magic show which is one of the biggest shows in the world in vegas and so i met them there and then uh and then from there we developed a relationship um saw the styles and they help us with everything like i i asked them to help me with shipping you know because if I ask for quotes from here, it's way more expensive. If they ask quotes from there, they ship all over. So they, they helped us in that end. And, you know, do we get into these, um, do they get into these issues sometimes? Yes, we do. Like, I mean, I tried to order from Syria. I didn't know there was an embargo on Syria, mm -hmm. you know, and they finished. They didn't know either. And Canada had said this embargo a couple of years back and, you know, everything was done and, we just couldn't get it in and we couldn't get in. We couldn't get in. Look, we both lost in that end. Thankfully it was a trial test and it was just, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, a few hundred dollars, a few thousand dollars, let's say. But, uh, by the end of the day, it's a, it's a, it's a trial and error and, and that's how it is. And logistics. I'm, so you're saying that, that in your experience, sometimes it's easier for your supplier to deal with logistics yeah. and to push the goods your way than for you to pull from the different regions. Yes. Because, um, they have their own contacts and they have their own uh, freight forwarders and all that stuff. And, you know, I deal, they deal with their, in their own language and they have their, you know, all of that is already developed from within the country. If I come from the outside, I'm dealing with UPS and FedEx and DHL and trying to find this freight forwarder. And, you know, while they already have that developed and I make sure that's developed. We're chatting with Jason Ayub tonight of Junior Kids. More with Jason in just a moment at 7.30. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 
7.36, welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by F.L. Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with F.L. Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. And uh, this evening, Josh, we're chatting with Jason Ayub of Junior Kids, and he's in a business where he uh, gets a lot of goods, a lot of trade with company countries uh, around the world, really, which requires, uh, in some cases, some serious math and some uh, serious uh, calculating to make sure that uh, she, you're still making money after all the, the exchanging. And it's and it's definitely a good thing he's got that CPA background that, that helps him be a little bit more analytical. Uh, and I know there's lots of things we want to talk about, marketing and, and some of your team that we'll get to in a moment. Uh, but before, and you, you mentioned, Jason, that you're dealing with a number of suppliers around the world. Yeah. And today, you know, hot topic or an important topic that all entrepreneurs have to face, foreign exchange. Managing your foreign exchange, you know, Canadian dollar is not always doing so hot. The American dollar is expensive. People tend to buy more in that. How are you managing your the, these big foreign exchange fluctuations? And one thing, Josh, this year has been the toughest year for this, obviously, at uh, whatever it is today, probably 136 or something. But uh, And it's down from where it was. And down from where it was, yeah. Um, it's, it's very strategic this year because this year I ask a lot of my suppliers and, uh, to, to work with me on price. And it's not because, um, I want to have a discount it's, it's just because we can't, I, I refuse to push it on to the, to the, to the customer. I really do refuse to push it on to the customer. So I try to, um, take a bit in and, and then ask my supplier to do the same. So that's that's basically how I'm I'm managing this at the moment. Um, I guess it comes full then, circle when you're talking about keeping or developing relationships with your suppliers. This is where it comes into play. Yeah, yeah, this is where it comes into play, and and you know I I'm telling them like sometimes they'll show me something and be like you know this is this will sell, and then I have to convert it from U.S. to Canadian, and then from there adding the shipping and the duties and the taxes, and I'll be like this will it could be the nicest thing ever, but we'll never sell for two hundred dollars or three hundred dollars. So I'll just ignore it and let's go with something else you know and there's lots of choice but all these all my suppliers the ones that i i buy a lot from are working with me on this and i just saw it last week when i was at the show and, and they're like you know what this is the canadian price and this is the u.s price and they have two different prices you know for the u.s customers they have their own regular price and then for us it's way cheaper because they're playing they're they're working with us do you do you also work with forward exchange contracts or futures do you you bring we, that into um minutes? we not too much of the futures. Like I'll, I'll, I look to the future, but at the end of the day, um, this year was a bit tricky because I'm like, you know what? It went up. It's going to go back down. It's going to go back down. And mm -hmm. it went back up. And then I, I speak to my stockbrokers as well, like personal stockbrokers and, you know, anybody can, it's, it's like throwing a, it's a crystal. Yeah. It's, nobody it's has, it's nobody a has a ball. clear crystal ball. So, exactly. you know, at one point I said, you know what? I'll just suck it in. I need to change couple hundred thousands let's do that and we changed it and, and going on day by day so now instead of changing the full amount i'm changing bits and pieces whatever i need for today i'll change whatever i need for tomorrow i'll wait and that's what i'm doing but the goal is to get the people into the door so they can buy it regardless what you have so let's that's switch gears to marketing yes and uh and tell us what you know since you've been in this business kind of what has been your what's worked for you well like you know marketing the media and maybe what hasn't worked for you so well so this year was also with opening the the brand new mega store in Saint Dorothy. Yeah, because because you have three you have three locations now, right? Yes. So where, have, where are your three locations? Just so, so we, we have, know, we have two on the 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 main wedding street of uh, I can probably tell you all of Eastern Canada, which is uh, Plaza Saint Sebastian. Mm -hmm. So we have two of them there, and and then we have the new mega store in Laval and Saint Dorothy, 
and it's it was a completely different you know as a as a as a reality uh, check uh, for me when I first opened uh, Saint Dorothy because I was never really into this whole marketing because I went from the destination which was the street um, into now the destination which became me. Right, and so which became Junior Kids, the destination. Which means you always Saint Hubert Plaza Saint Hubert always had foot traffic because that's where everybody went for their their dresses and gowns and whatever. Automatically, you're getting you're getting um, married. That's where you're going. You need you have an occasion. That's where you're going. Everyone goes there. Everyone from out of town comes here. We get buses loads in the summer on Saint Hubert Street. So why did you open up in Saint Dorothy? Because what I what I noticed, and again, it goes back to listening to your to your customers, is that no one likes. No one from the suburbs want to drive to Montreal where there's no parking whatsoever and they have to walk to all these places. All they want is to, to you know, to drive to the closest location uh, that has, you know, what they want. They'll buy it and they'll leave. You know, they have kids to, to drag and all that stuff. And so what happened is I, I wanted to expand and uh, I wanted to do it where now I became the destination. And so that's why we did a mega store where... All you need to do is just come to our store in, in Laval, whoever is from the North Shore, uh, whether it goes all the way to uh, Mont Tremblant or Saint Sauveur, mm -hmm. they'll all come to the North Shore. They can come to that store now and they don't need to drive all the way to Montreal, go into traffic and look for parking and all that a hassle. So so now that you have this destination location, it's yes. not your typical foot traffic. What what worked for you? What did you what realization did you come to? So the first day I the soft launch, the first day I opened was a Saturday. And I opened those doors and expecting people to be walking outside and all that stuff. And that wasn't the case because at the end of the day, I was in a mega center and everyone drives there. So if they don't know you're there, they'll never go there. And so um, I had to switch my strategy in terms of now I really need marketing and I'm the destination. So the second day I opened, uh, luckily this mother came in and she saw her three for 12 camisoles, beautiful cotton, and all that stuff. And you're like, oh my God, I'm looking for these all over the place. And all the mothers are looking for these. Do you mind if I take a picture and, and put it on the mama group? I'm, I'm like, on the what group? What? <laughs> and then she's like, on the mama group. I'm like, what's that? And then she goes on Facebook and there's all these mama groups all over the place. And they're all asking for this. I'm like, yeah, go ahead to be my guest. And then she put it on and then started getting all kinds of influx of mail and all that stuff from her Facebook page that was mediocre at, the, at that time. And... And then the next day I went to open the store. I still don't have any employees at that uh, that time. And there was like three, four mothers with their strollers waiting. And they're like, uh, you guys have, still have those camisoles? I'm like, sorry, but where did you guys hear about us? And then she's like, uh, on the mama group. I'm like, wow, those mama groups actually work. And so then the I The power of the mama the, group. Who'd have thunk it? I picked up the phone and you know researched uh, some social media marketing companies and fell on one of the companies which we work uh, is working for us right now and uh, and basically uh, all of our all of our marketing is now being done on Facebook and on Pinterest and and Instagram and everything to do with social media and groups uh, every mama group that exists out there every wedding group and we're all over the place and so that's what's been helping us uh, tremendously even we did flyers and nowhere near the amount of influx that we got from uh, social media so so fly, so you did try the flyers and it really just didn't work. Sent out 20,000 flyers and I can probably tell you with a $10 coupon and not even 5% came uh, came in on flyers cuz no one really 
I'm 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 one of them. I'm the one that will go to the to the mailbox, pick up the my letters, throw everything else, or leave them in there, or throw them in the garbage, and that's it. I won't read flyers. Do you find that it's a it's a different market? I mean, you're, you're 20 minutes away. Drive St. Hubert, St. Dorothy. Is it a different market? Is it a different crowd? Did you have to adapt? Um, I is it a different market? Um, I didn't have to adapt. I just had to. Um, it's it's not really a, a way different market um, in terms of dresses and suits because um, everyone, every parent or every bride that's walking into our store, it's either the first time or the second time. They don't buy this often, so we guide them towards the best of the best. You know, mm-hmm. that's what my employees are there for. Um, they've been trained to, to, to do that, you know, and so we're sort of like the professionals and trying to go in and make easier, um, easier way into finding the dress that you want or the suit that you want. So in terms of a different market, um, it's about the same. Jason Ayub with us from Junior Kids. We'll have his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way. Also, Nick Moretis talks about uh, transitioning your business uh, from one generation to the next. That is coming up on CJAD. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Seven forty-eight on today's entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and FL Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you. Uh, we have Jason Ayub of Junior Kids with us. We'll have his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur in a moment. But first, we have tax partner from FL Nick Moretis joining us. And uh, Josh, uh, I guess we want to get into transitions. It can get pretty complicated uh, with paperwork, uh, with vision, with a whole bunch of things. Um, how do you do it successfully? And uh, and this is this is a topic that we can just wind Nick up up and 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 he'll kind of can just ramble on for a while just with all the knowledge that floats around in his head. But Nick, you know, we were certainly you know at the early part of the show we were talking with Jason and uh, he kind of succeeded his father in running the business. And we know there's there's a number of challenges uh, certainly from a tax point of view. There's a number from a family and a business point of view. There's no question. Uh, but from a tax point of view as well, there's a number of hoops you should consider before you jump through them. So there you go. There's some serious ones as well because, uh, and this we may have talked about in past shows, uh, an entrepreneur can sell the shares of his business to anybody he wants but his family. And and the fiscal policy allows, uh, I think this year it's 827000 of capital gains to be received tax-free. But he cannot do that with his family and in the business succession. Um, there was some talk in the last Quebec budget that they they're they're looking to try to introduce it here in Quebec for certain industries. But uh, if father wants to, or sorry, if parent wants to transfer business to a child but needs money, uh, and the child is willing and able to get the financing to buy the shares, everything will be taxable to the parent. Or if the parent wants to take. Uh, uh, get the availability of the capital gains exemption, uh, it's the child who will suffer for it because he will pay the tax. So when we're looking at business transition uh, situations, sometimes from a parent's perspective, they'll get more money in their pocket quicker by selling it to a third party than trying to transfer it within their own family. So we, we look to, to do, well, what do we do? 
Um, there is a provision where a parent can sell the shares of the business to a child and spread the payments over, say, 10 years and, and pay taxes over 10 years. He cannot do that with a with third party. It's limited to five. So the government has given us something there. Um, but usually what we end up looking and, and trying to do, and, and we try to do it early on in, in, uh, in the, I guess, the career of the business, is we get into um, introducing trusts to own shares of the business, um, uh, locking up the parents' value in the business uh, in, in, in special shares, and, and planning that at some point in time in the future, um, the, the child can accede to uh, the, being a shareholder of the company in a manner that's tax-efficient, but doesn't necessarily give cash to the parent. So we have to then work on, well, how do we fund the parent's life if they've moved out from the business? How, how early do you, do you have to kind of plan for these things? I mean, not everybody has the foresight to do this when they start their business. So is there a, a too early or a too late stage that, that entrepreneurs Well, I guess consider? it's because there's a lot of motivating motivations to, to set up what we call an estate freeze and trust. You could be doing it simply for uh, maybe one day I'm going to sell a business. There's no child involved. Never, and and I, we want everybody to uh, be able to get this capital gains exemption. It could be for income splitting purposes. It could be for creditor uh, proofing the family's stake in the business. There's a lot of other motivations. But at some point in time, if there is a child who is involved or, or more than ch- one child who is involved, and, and you are looking at there is your successor, there is your leader who's going to take over, well, now if you if you haven't set up this, the, the structure yet, you've got to start working on it sooner. The longer we delay, there'll be more more tax money going to the government on that transition. And, and we have then for the financing issues. How do we get it, uh, the cash over to the parent? Um, and, when, and one last thing I'll mention in, when we're looking at that, now we're looking to life insurance to fund uh, uh, cash, but the parent is no longer there. So uh, it's, it becomes another step. Um, when you, as you mentioned before, Josh, uh, when the family gets involved, well, who's getting the business? Is it uh, child number one who's operating? But if this is what I really have... What do I do with child number two, three, four, and five? What do, what, what do they get? And then, of course, the will comes into play, and then we have to talk about right. the wording and equalization there. So when we come back after, we'll chat a little bit more about some of these fun challenges. Plus, we'll have Jason Ayub's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. That's next. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. We'll have Jason Ayub's uh, one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur coming up in just a little bit. He's from Junior Kids. But first, Josh, talking to Nick Moretis, uh, tax partner at Fuller Landau, about uh, transition and the com- uh, the complications that could arise. And we were talking about, you know, certain tax implications, uh, you know, and freezes in estates. But the will has to absolutely come into play. You know, if Nick, you were mentioning if there's other siblings and only one's in the business or two and not all of them, uh, the will really has to play a role, of course, maybe with life insurance as well. Maybe you can elaborate. Yeah. Uh, just well, and, and we're, we're uh, and this is, this is discussed with, uh, with clients, I guess, all the time. Um, if at some point in time uh, you're seeing there is a successor and, and uh, the decision you have to then turn around and make is, well, should I leave the business to the successor? Or am I leaving the business, which may be the bulk of my wealth, to the family, which includes uh, the you know, siblings and all that? Which may not be so readily liquid. And, and it may not be liquid. And who's going to pay for the taxes on this business? Um, and, and that becomes an issue of sitting down and, and looking, how am I going to be fair? That's when you start looking at, um, uh, well, there's management issues. If, it, if the business is going to one child 
uh, and you have other children who are also shareholders, and this is all handled within the will, but to get to that is a lot of discussion. Um, well, what am I going to do to protect the child who's running the business if the children who are not running the business want to monetize their interest, get paid, to leave? And how he's how is the child going to pay for that? Is he going to inde- is he going to make put the company in debt? Will he find a financier who's who knowingly is going to give him cash to essentially buy out the siblings? And that becomes an issue. And I think most of the parents that we deal with, Josh, recognize that issue, and that's usually top of their mind. How do I look at it? And we look at other sources. Maybe maybe the business is going to one child, and we'll have to find other sources of of wealth to transfer to other children, say like life insurance, for example. And then, of course, there's well. What if the let's say it's the it's the mother that's running the business. The father's not in it. We'll take that case. That's maybe a little abnormal. We'll use that. What if what if the, the that matriarch passes away, mm-hmm. and then there's still the kids in the business, but you still have one parent that's around that might still rely on some income. Then you know there there's that, that that comes then into that's play where well. you get back into this whole notion that sometimes for an entrepreneur it is easier to sell the business to a third party, gets the cash. And goes on with life as opposed to trying to uh, pass on a business to uh, a, a child, and where there isn't that simplicity to monetize because maybe the financing may not be available because the, ban- the, the most of the fa- lenders know you're receiving funds for it to go out, not for it to be invested in the business, um, and, and that becomes an issue. Uh, so uh, we that's where that's a lot that's the game plan when when there is succession issues within the family, despite that the government. It makes it seems to its policy that it wants to continue the family business. It puts some roadblocks in, in the, the tax angle, which means that's why people use life insurance a little bit to plan to. And you got to plan it not the day, not when you're getting sick and you've been told by a doctor you're not going to be here uh, for a long time. You start planning this uh, maybe at our age, Josh, and you start looking your at age. It. Nick. Yeah, yes, that's right. And you start looking at it way before that exit, so you can build up. And then, of course, your your basically your life insurance, whether it's in the company or what have you, that's you, that's where you really got to plan ahead. That's where you do, yeah, because if it, you usually do need it, and many times in, in a corporate environment, because it's got to go and, and you got to move it to whom it is that you want, and there's other tax benefits for having it in a company. But the will, the insurance, the estate plan, setting up the shares properly, and then most importantly, having that successor there. At the end of the day, those are the elements that we look at over time, and it takes a while. It's not a one-hour meeting, unfortunately. Excellent. Thank you very much, Nick, for all that information in, in one fell swoop. And as we do every week, we'll, uh, we come up to the last moment of the show, and we'll turn to our guest, uh, Jason Ayub of Junior Kids, and we'll ask Jason, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? Um, my one piece of advice would be to... Um Listen to your uh, customers, listen to your clients, because they will guide you as to what they want and what they will buy. And if you need to pivot, like like I did with junior kids, and it will probably be because it's for the right reasons, and uh, it will, you know, they will guide you towards what you want, what you need, and what they want. And and that's my word of advice to listen to your customers. Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, and Dan, my, my takeaway, I have a couple of them. One of them I'll give you from the CPA background, of course, which is a, you know, if you have the knowledge of processes and to measure and to, to really plan out your business so that you minimize the risk and minimize the downside, I think it can only suit you very well in the future. And of course, the flip side of that coin is recognize that you don't, that you can be more than one type of person and that the, the CA or CPA that's sitting in front of me is also, you 
you know, has a has a flair for being an entrepreneur and, of course, for fashion. So you got to embrace all sides of your entrepreneurs. Thanks, Nick Moretis at Fuller Landau. And, of course, Jason Ayub of Junior Kids. Thanks so much, Jason. Best of luck. And Thank we'll you very much. be back here next Monday night at 7 on News Talk Radio CJAD 800. The Exchange with Lee's Ravery is next.